Welcome to our study of Hebrews chapter 3. In yesterday's program, we talked about being in the household of faith. And the writer in verse 6 said, And we are his house if we hold fast our confidence and pride in our hope. Confidence in what? Confidence in Jesus Christ, who he is, and what he has done. Christ did something for us. We refer to it as the cross work of Jesus Christ. Now, that was not a tragedy when Jesus was crucified, nor was it a perversion of justice. Yes, he was crucified unjustly, but it was the plan of God from the beginning. It was ordained in ages past that Jesus would be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world so God could redeem his own creation. And God asked that we have confidence in him, total confidence. Now, in yesterday's program, I pointed out that all the Bible asks us to do is to believe in Jesus Christ and nothing more in order to get eternal life. That's brought out so clearly in John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his unique son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we talked about what believe means. It means to trust in, to have full confidence in, to depend upon, and to turn from every other dependence to trust Christ alone. I often say it's faith alone in Christ alone which brings us salvation. And we must not try to prompt people or manipulate them into making a decision against their will. When man compels, a person is led to think that he can rely on what an evangelist urges him to do, but the gospel awakens us to forget man and to do what God urges upon us. And what does God urge? To respond to what the Bible tells us. For this reason, I never ask a person to do anything. If I have preached the gospel, the gospel tells him to hear the word of Christ and to believe the one who sent him. And if he does, he'll have eternal life. Our responsibility is to preach the gospel, to make it clear, not to persuade people against their wills, for many false messages surround us. We need to make the message clear that it is Christ who is the Savior and a Savior does the saving. We need to make clear that salvation is a gift of God and it's by grace, not by anything which we do. The faithful evangelist doesn't try to get decisions, for those are easy to come by, because people will always respond to stories and emotional pleas, and they'll walk forward in a meeting at someone's urging. But what do they get? Not very much. They have to depend upon a man or that experience for their assurance, and that doesn't last. It fades away. They are forced to trust in an event rather than in Jesus Christ. And these are the kinds of people who are hope-so Christians. They are rarely sure of their salvation. They are not positive that they have been forgiven, 
because the object of their faith is their decision rather than the Savior. They haven't believed God. Now, the lesson of verse 6 is that true believers don't trust in Jesus for an hour. It's a lifetime dependence. But what if one stops believing, people ask, obviously. His belief was merely an attraction. Real believers continue in the faith. John tells us that in his first epistle in chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Listen to it. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might be plain that they all are not of us. True believers stick to the faith. They have no other way to go. Christ is everything to them. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, the writer says this, But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. True believers don't abandon the Lord. To what could they be drawn back? In the case of the Hebrews, they apparently were being drawn back to the religion of Judaism, perhaps its sacrifices, reliance on the priest as a mediator, and other things. But a true believer in Jesus Christ has abandoned all that. He has abandoned everything that he was taught could help him to get to heaven. He has abandoned Reliance upon the Ten Commandments, upon the sacraments, upon keeping holy days and laws and rules. He has given up everything and put all of his trust in Jesus Christ. Now that's how you determine a true believer. He relies on nothing else and it is impossible for him to be drawn back to trust in something other than Christ. That was the problem here, addressed in chapter 3 of the Epistle to the Hebrews. Now, in the rest of the chapter, beginning with verse 7, we have a warning about unbelief. It's a stern warning. Listen to what he writes. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for forty years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall never enter my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if only we hold our first confidence firm to the end. While it is said today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion." Now, the author here begins with quoting Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. 
That's what we find beginning in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 3. Now he quotes from something which King David wrote. King David was also a prophet, and God spoke through him. But the writer does not say, Therefore, as the prophet David said, instead in verse 7 he writes, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. David wrote it, but the writer tells us that the Holy Spirit was speaking. And he's speaking about something that happened 400 years before David's time. And now, the writer to the Hebrews is writing it 1,000 years after David's time, and he quotes from Psalm 95 and attributes it, he credits the authorship of it to none other than the Holy Spirit. Can you believe that, that the Holy Spirit speaks? Well, Peter believed it. He wrote in his epistle, Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. They were under the control of the Spirit. The Spirit put the ideas and the words in their minds so they could write exactly what God wanted them to write. That's what Scripture is. If anyone claims God has not spoken, he'll have to answer to God for rejecting that revelation, not only the revelation of nature, which certainly does speak, as Psalm 19 tells us, but also the special revelation of Scripture. Yes, there is a natural revelation. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows forth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night shows knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. God has spoken, and he holds men accountable because he revealed himself through nature as well as through the prophets, and he holds men accountable. Romans chapter 1 tells us about that. Now then there is, in addition to a natural revelation, a special revelation, where God, through his Spirit, spoke through prophets. And you will recall that's how this epistle began. It said, in many and various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Now, I am aware that many people, because of their upbringing or perhaps attending liberal churches or being under teachers who didn't understand fully the scriptures, have been led to believe that the scriptures are not fully trustworthy. Some Christians look at the Bible as the word of men. They'll acknowledge that it is scripture and that God speaks through the Bible, but they don't have perfect confidence that everything in the Bible has come from God. Years ago, with this realization that there were such people who had such doubts, I developed a course called The Authority of the Bible. And that course is on cassette tape for those of you who might need that kind of instruction. It teaches us all about the Bible. Is it God's word? Can we trust it? 
and it is based primarily on the greatest authority in the world, none other than the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We developed that course based on what Jesus said about the scriptures. What did he believe about Moses and Jonah and Sodom and Gomorrah? What did he believe about Noah and the flood? The Christian ought to have a basis for his faith, and he can't have a very firm foundation if he doesn't believe that the scriptures are authoritative and dependable. If you aren't sure that you can trust the Bible, or if you know another Christian who is not sure and has doubts about the authority of the Bible, refer these teaching tapes to him. You can get a free brochure from the Radio Bible course that will tell you about these tapes and many others that will help you and build you in the faith. Once a person is sure that the Bible is reliable and that Jesus endorsed it completely, then he needs orientation in the Bible. And we have a cassette course that will help with that. It's called Understanding the New Testament. It, more than any other course, has helped people to understand the difference between the two religions of the Bible. Most people don't know that there are two religions in the Bible, Judaism and Christianity. Well, you can write for information about these courses. Send your letter to the Radio Bible course. Ask for information on teaching tapes. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 14916, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.